Let's jump in to God's Word. Galatians chapter 3, that's where we're going to uh, kick it off today. We're going to uh, take the first half of Galatians 3, get through the first 14 verses. Um, but before that, as you're opening your Bibles, there's Bibles in the front. If you don't have one in the front seat, and in front of you, you can grab one of those, and we'll put the Scripture on the screens as well. Movie Tavern did something creative last month. They had this thing called uh, Enchanted Tales. Maybe some of you, if you have young kids, maybe you're aware of this. They basically, for like 5 or $6 a ticket, you could go and watch some of the old Disney fairy tales. And they did a different Enchanted Tale each weekend. Maybe some of you missed out on that. You, you, uh, you Be aware of it. Look on their website. I'm sure they'll do it again. But my daughter, Sylvie, and I, went and saw the original Peter Pan, the 1955. So it's, it's like you can watch it at home, but it, there's something about the big screen and just being mesmerized at how they accomplished that in the 50s. And great, great scene in that uh, movie where Peter Pan comes through the window and he's telling the, the kids about Never Never Land and Wendy asks him, where is Never Never Land? And there's this great scene where the, the camera goes through the window and out into the sky and there's two stars out there and he points and he says second star to the right and straight on till morning that's a great line isn't it thank you i mean i wish that i could write like that i just i leaned over to sylvie and i said em barry he was a writer of peter pan i said man he nailed it on that second star to the right and straight on till morning it just gives you like the the chills right i don't know um but we're uh, you're wondering why I'm telling you about fairy tales. You know that the Disney stories don't really track the original fairy tale. You know that, right? Disney domesticates those stories. Disney takes all the blood and gore, for the most part, out of those stories. And if you don't know this, then you're not aware of your fairy tales. Like Hans Christian Andersen, you know the guys that wrote a lot of those fables and fairy tales? They wrote some violent stories. Take, for instance, The Little Mermaid. I can't even remember. Like, I know Ariel, but, like, I don't know the story. Like, I can't even remember the movie. But it's nothing like the story. The story goes that she rescues a man as a mermaid, falls in love with him, and has this real desire to not be a mermaid anymore. She feels like her happiness is, is all wrapped up in actually becoming a human and not dying as a mermaid, but having an immortal, eternal soul. So she wants to not be a mermaid anymore. She wants to, to be a woman. And she wants to win the love of this, this prince and this charming prince and go off and live happily ever after. So she goes to a wicked witch to figure out a way that she can accomplish this. And the wicked witch says, I've got a way for you. I'm going to put you under a spell. You have to drink this potion. You drink this potion. At the moment you do that, you're, you're going to lose your mermaid tail and you're going to get two legs. But when you drink the potion, it's going to feel like a sword is passing through you. And then at that moment, you're going to get legs but you're going to lose your voice. You can never talk, but you're going to be able to dance, like, amazingly. Like, everybody is going to be amazed at how great you can dance. But when you dance, and when you use these legs, 
they're going to feel brittle. And, and as you use them, it's going to feel like they're breaking, like you're being cut with glass. And when, when you're finished dancing, you're going to look down and your feet are going to be covered in blood. But if you can win the love of a man and marry him, then you'll, you'll be rid of the, 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 the challenge of these things and you'll be able to have an immortal soul and live happily ever after. And so she embraces the sacrifice of this and she goes and tries to win the love of this man, but he loves someone else and he marries her. And at the moment that he marries the other person, she basically, it's, it's like, it doesn't say she dies, she dissipates and becomes the foam of the sea. Wow. Didn't realize that that was the story of Little Mermaid, did you? And you're probably wondering, why is Kenny telling us the story of the Little Mermaid? What's the connection? In that fairy tale, Ariel came under a spell and began to act in a way that her family and her friends would have tried to steer her away from the course that she was taking. Try to steer her away from believing that her happiness was wrapped up in these things and that she would have to make all these sacrifices in order to get it to come to pass. Paul is writing to the Galatians and he's so perplexed that they would turn away from free grace and turn to works. He's so perplexed that they would respond to Jesus and then lose sight of Jesus and turn to religion turn to a moral improvement plan to, in believing that they could be right with God, that he says to them, who bewitched you? In other words, who put a spell on you? Your behavior is so crazy to me that it's like someone put a spell on you. That's the connection. We're going to read the text, and then we're going to talk about this thing called spiritual hypnosis. You with me? Let's go to Galatians 3. This is the word of the Lord, the first 14 verses of, of Galatians. Let's read it and let's ask God to write its internal truth upon our hearts. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, 
Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Lord, we pray right now that You would open our eyes as we look into Your Word. We pray that You would, you would not only open our eyes, but You would warm our hearts. And don't stop there, Lord. Mold our wills that we might become more like Jesus and love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, Amen. Paul asked the Galatians, who put a spell on you? Who bewitched you? Who put a hex on you? Your behavior is so perplexing to me that the, the best explanation I can have is that you're, you've fallen under a spell. You've come under a curse. He's basically saying to them, are, you, you guys are crazy. Are you guys crazy? That's what he's saying. Did someone... Put a spell on you. Have you lost your mind? Have you taken leave of your senses? This is what he's asking them because their behavior is so difficult for him to comprehend. He's saying to them, it's obvious to me that you no longer have a clear focus of Jesus. You're not seeing Jesus clearly. Jesus is not front and center. You've lost sight of who Jesus is. It's obvious to me that you're no longer remembering that that your guilt can be removed by the great truth of justification by faith alone because you've added these works to it. And it's so perplexing to me. I'm trying to understand what's going on here. It's like I've entered into a fairy tale. You, you, you're not thinking right. He's saying, I, I preached the good news to you clearly. So clearly did he preach the good news that he, could, that he could say to them, it's like Jesus was crucified right in front of your very eyes. He, he preached the gospel so clearly that they understood it. And when they received it, they received the gospel. But now they've moved on into something else. They're trusting in their works. They're, they're actually believing that even though they understood the gospel to be the good news of free grace, they've added works to it and, and believe that they have to have Jesus plus some good works. And Paul is just scratching his head. He's in agony over this. He's saying, you've forgotten the most important thing, guys. The solution of, for life is not doing things for God, but it's trusting in a God who has done things for you. And they've forgotten this. So what's the lesson here for us? We can see, if you're tracking Galatians at all, you can really track the lesson that Paul has for the Galatians. But what's the lesson here for us? Well, if the Galatians can hear Paul preach, the apostle to the Gentiles, if they can hear him preach and respond to Jesus and begin to follow him, and then get sideways 
with the gospel, then you better believe you can. If the Galatians can be spiritually hypnotized, then so can you. If Barnabas, remember Barnabas? He's, he was Paul's church planning mentor. He's the one that introduced Paul to, to the, the, the apostles. He's the one that kind of took Paul under his wing. He probably discipled Paul in some ways. And they went on these ventures together, planting churches. And Barnabas gets sucked into what's happening with, in this church. The Judaizers have come and said, no, 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 you, you need to have works. You need These Gentiles need to become Jews. And Barnabas gets sucked into it. He stops eating with the Gentile believers. He starts just hanging with the, with the Jews. And, and, and Paul is so upset over this that, Par, that Barnabas got hypnotized. He, 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 he fell in line with this false teaching. Listen, if Barnabas can get sideways with the gospel, so can you. If Barnabas can be spiritually hypnotized, so can you. If Peter... Peter, close friend of Jesus, super apostle. And think of the things he did. He preached messages and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. I mean, this is, this is a guy who had been with Jesus, learned from Jesus, preached the gospel of Jesus, and falls into some kind of weird Christian hypocrisy. This room is full of people who could fall into a weird form of Christian hypocrisy. If Peter, if that can happen to Peter, you better believe it can happen to you. If Peter can be spiritually hypnotized, so can you. Every day, every day, it seems like the world culture your own inner voice, our enemy, Satan. It's like a watch. Isn't that how they hypnotize people? They dang, that's how I remember it. You ever watch that? I watched somebody get hypnotized once when I was in sixth grade. It was wild. I thought it was fake. But it's weird. Why? I don't know how it works. I did some research on it this week. and A lot of people don't believe in it, but hypnotherapy is like a real thing. But I don't know how they put people into a hypnotic trance. But in the movies, it was always like, watch the gold. Watch, now you're getting sleepy. And you're like in this trance. Every day, there are things that dangle in front of your eyes that say, take your eyes off of Jesus. You're getting sleepy. You want to trust me. You want to trust this thing. You want to trust this person. It takes our eyes off of Jesus and places them on some other Savior, some other false God. Anybody relate to that? It's not just every day, guys. For me, I feel like every hour I have this temptation to take my eyes off of Christ. I can be spiritually hypnotized. You can be spiritually hypnotized. Every day I'm forced to either keep my eyes clearly on Jesus or to focus on some other Savior, some other ideology, some other philosophy, some other theology. Am I alone in this? Can you relate to this? You know what it's like to be 
Spiritually hypnotized. We're no different than the Galatians. How quickly the Galatians got a twisted view of God. They understood God to be full of grace, and then somewhere along the line, they got this twisted view of God that God, in order to maintain a relationship with Him, had to be appeased by your sacrifices, had to be appeased by your good works. Like you, They might have said, yeah, we started off the relationship with grace, but now in order to maintain it, in order to keep God liking me, in order to stay on good terms with God, I've got to do these works. I've got to appease Him. That's religion. And a lot of Christians, including Peter, can fall into a spiritually hypnotic state where you start to believe just like the Galatians did. It's like you could go to bed at night, like eyes on Jesus, wake up in the morning, and you're starting to feel hypnotized. We're vulnerable to this. Brennan Manning says, when that happens, when we get a twisted view of God as one who expects religious performance in order to accept us, we will feel engaged to, to, we will feel compelled to engage in some sort of magic to appease God. So we do things. We turn Sunday morning Brendan Manning says, into a superstitious insurance policy. Some of us are doing that right now. You're here, and in the back of mind, you never even thought of it that way. But, but if you dig deep down, if you allow the Spirit of God to speak to you, you'll realize that what you're doing right now isn't 100%, your motives aren't 100% pure. That you're actually checking off a box. That God sees me at church. God keeps track of these kinds of things. And he's, you know, and he's checking and seeing who's here. And I've got, this, you know, I've got this insurance policy now that he can at least, hey, you know I was there, God. We do that with all kinds of things. We do that with reading our Bible. We do that with prayer. We do that with fellowship. We go to missional community. We, we disciple people. Sometimes out of a sense of guilt, like this is what I'm supposed to do. And as long as I keep doing it, then I maintain this relationship with God. I have him look on me with favor. Even he'll bless me if I keep doing the right thing. And he'll remove his blessing if I start jacking up my quiet times. It's like an insurance policy against God's whims. Anybody relate to that? If you're feeling exhausted, because that kind of, when you get a twisted view of God and you think you've got to obey Him in order to get Him to like you and love you and, and be secure in your relationship with Him, if you, get, if you get sideways with that, you will become an exhausted, deflated, joyless Christian. It'll happen. And when that does happen, when you do experience that, friends, you have been spiritually hypnotized but it doesn't just stop like with this kind of legalistic action i i can experience when i experience stress when when the stress of life seems unrelenting it always seems like there's jesus as an option for running to in the midst of my stress but then all other kinds of places that i could run all other kinds of people that i could run to false gods i could run to false beliefs 
things that I could do to relieve or places I could run to relieve my stress other than Jesus. Where do you run for relief when life presses in on you? That, that will reveal something about what level of spiritual hypnosis you're under. When you discover that one of your kids has been deceiving you, where are you going to run? When life pressure, pressure at work, seems volcanic in the way it's building, where are you going to run? When financial struggles are pressing in on you and it's creating anxiety, where do you run? When life just seems boring, no thrill, where do you run? Who do you run to? When we run to any place other than to the one who loved us and gave himself for us, friends, we have become spiritually hypnotized. And it's not just Christians that become spiritually hypnotized. You could be sitting here an unbeliever and be spiritually hypnotized. Here's how. You could be thinking that the solution for your life or, or for humanity in general lies somewhere other than Jesus. You're spiritually hypnotized. This happens on college campuses. I'm in class now. My wife is in classes now. I'm taking classes where, where people are trying to make sense of the brokenness of our world, and it is a broken world. And so you try to find solutions for the brokenness that you feel personally and that you see all around you. And so you come up with ideologies. You come up with philosophies to try to deal with that problem. People have experienced real brokenness. Even in, even in some of the classes that we've taken, people share their past. Women that have been assaulted. That's very troubling. Children. So people in these classes are sharing how they were abused as kids. That's very troubling. One woman, a prof an educated professor from Sudan, now in the United States, a Muslim, wears her head covering down in the city, walking to work, having people on the streets yell loudly, as if she doesn't understand English, asking her, do you understand English? That's hurtful. That's offensive. Where do you go? What's going to make sense of the brokenness of this world? What's going to fix the brokenness of this world? Friends, when you turn to a theory of inclusion as the answer, if we could just love one another, apart from Christ, you have become spiritually hypnotized. 
So, have I convinced you of spiritual hypnosis? How do you break the spell? How do you break the spell? If you're sitting here and not even as a Christian. If you're sitting here as a Christian, but you feel vulnerable to hypnotic states, how do you break it? It's right here in the text. I want to give you three. Here we go. How do you break the spell of spiritual hypnosis? Number one, we break the spell of spiritual hypnosis by trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's right here in the text. We break the spell of spiritual hypnosis by trusting. So I've even tried to use that word carefully because because if I say we break the power of spiritual hypnosis by doing things, then then I'm falling prey to what the Galatians fell prey to. It's not by an action, it's by a trust, it's by a belief. Who do you got to believe? You got to believe the Spirit. You got to believe the Holy Spirit. You got to trust in the Spirit. And this is where Paul starts out. Let me ask you only this. He's already been writing to them, and he turns and he says, I just got one question for you guys. I just have one question. The Spirit of God that is at work in you, and he says, even doing miracles among them. So, so th- this is a group of people that for whatever reason, maybe the early church, um, you know, the, new, the first century church, they were experiencing some powerful manifestations of the Spirit. What were, what were they? I don't know. But he says that the Spirit of God has done miracles among them. So something was happening there that, that, that he knew the Galatians would identify with. Yeah, the Spirit of God lives in us. Yeah, the Spirit of God is at work in us. And Paul says, I just have one question for you. One question. Did you get the Spirit by earning it and working for it? Or did it come to you through faith? And then Paul sits back and says, I know I got you now. That was a watertight argument. Because he knows they're going to say, we didn't get it by working for it. We got it by God gave it to us. God gave us his spirit. And what Paul is saying is, and that's right, and the same way you were justified by faith alone in Christ alone, not by works, and you received justification, you were made right with God, in the same way you received the spirit, not by works, but by faith. It's the same. It's the same. It's by trusting in God. How did you get the spirit? Are you aware of the spirit's work in your life? Are you aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is living within you. Are you aware of His presence? Anybody? Man, we really need to get back to our charismatic roots. If nobody in this room is aware of the Spirit of God's presence in our lives. But I I do think we need to be made more aware. And Paul's exhortation here is good. How are you going to break the power of spiritual hypnosis? It's through remembering and trusting in the work of the Spirit in you. This is what I think we need, Brandywine Grace family. We need a few things as it relates to the Spirit of God. We need a greater awareness of the Spirit's presence in our lives. And we need a greater expectation of his power at work in our lives. We need both of those things. If we just become those kind of heady Christians, but it never addresses how we feel, we're going to miss out on what God has for us. We need to be more aware. And, and, and I think when we spend time with God, he can make us more aware. When we spend time with the Spirit of God, 
I just think, examine your prayer life. Do you pray to our Heavenly Father? Probably do. Do you pray to Jesus? We're comfortable with Father. We're comfortable with Jesus. We're confused about the Spirit. So we don't really pray to the Spirit of God. We don't say, Spirit of God, fill us, like Paul exhorts believers to regularly be filled with the Spirit. Not because, they're, not because they don't have the Spirit, but in he, we need these fresh infillings of the Spirit. You praying for that? You asking for that? We need a greater awareness. Last week I was preaching, and I, I was talking about how Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. And over here in, in this side of the room, um, I saw a young woman, and I heard her begin to kind of shake as she was thinking about God's love for her, that he gave himself for her. And just tears started streaming down her face. And she's sitting over here, and you have no idea what's going on. And here's, her husband puts his arm around her to, to comfort her. And you know what I'm thinking? That is the Spirit of God. Sometimes I have preached messages where I spent the whole time talking about the topic at hand and somebody will come up to me and say, I'm so convicted because you said this. And it was like some passing comment. It's like it wasn't even the main point. It wasn't even close. But God is speaking to them. What's that? It's certainly not me and my ineffectiveness. It's the Spirit of God. How about you're praying for something? You're asking God to do something. And you, maybe you're praying about a person. You're praying about a relationship with them. And, and, and you see a subtle change of heart. Or, you, or you're able to engage in conversation in ways you haven't been in the past. What is that? That's the Spirit of God working. You should be able to count. The Spirit of God is at work all around us. Do we see it? Are we trained to see it? And the way that happens is by spending time with the Spirit. You have to get to know God. You have to spend time with God. How do you get to know God? How do you develop a relationship with God? Talking with Him. Just like you do with anybody else. We need to spend time in prayer. And I think one of the dangers we face right now is the danger of the devices that you're holding in your hand. Technology. God, thank you for technology. It helps us in so many ways, but man, does it stifle our dependence upon the Spirit of God. Because we're uncomfortable with time alone with God. It's like we can't sit still, not, we can't go off the grid long enough to, to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. And we're not whole people, we're not spiritually whole people because we are so consumed with technology. And it hinders us in our ability to grow in our relationship with the Spirit of God and to experience the power of the Spirit working in our lives. We get into difficult situations and we don't see God and we feel pressure and, and we could wish that God was closer to us. We could wish like, it seems like you're not near me. It's almost like we would say, if only I'm in this situation and I just wish Jesus would have said, if only Jesus had said to me, he would never leave me or forsake me. He did say that. If only Jesus would say, you know, this is going to be a hard, it's going to be hard to live the Christian life. You're going to be tempted to forget things. So I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to remind you everything that I taught you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to remind you of your word. And we sit there saying, if only 
If only Jesus, when he left, he would have, he would have sent someone to help us to remember his word because I have such a hard time remembering it. He did do that. If only Jesus, who, when he left, would send us someone who would comfort us in our sorrow. If, when, we, when we get into a difficult situation, if only I had someone who was present with me who would comfort me. If only Jesus had sent a comforter. He did do that. If only, if only he had promised to, to be with me always. You know, like always and, and, and until the end of the age. He did do that. Are you taking advantage of the promise that he has made? All of those promises are true, yes and amen, for every single one of us that's put their hope and faith in Jesus. Amen. That breaks, the, that breaks the power. It breaks the spell of spiritual hypnosis. Let's keep going. We break the spell of spiritual hypnosis by trusting in the power of God's Word. We break the spell of spiritual hypnosis by trusting in the power of God's Word. We trust in the power of the Spirit. We trust in the power of God's Word. And this is an amazing little exercise I want you to do when you get home. Go look at how many passages of Scripture, Old Testament passages of Scripture, that Paul squeezes into one little section of this letter. It's amazing. Let me just highlight one. I want to highlight one because he starts talking about Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. God calls him. He, wasn't, he didn't begin a Jew. God called him out and formed a nation. And the Galatians know that God formed the nation with Abraham and that he made a covenant with him. He made a promise to him. And then he gave him circumcision as a sign of that promise. And so what the Galatians would say is, yeah, but Paul, wouldn't you agree that when God made his covenant with Abraham, that he gave them circumcision as an act of obedience. So yeah, Jesus, but we have to embrace, in order to be part of that covenant, in order to be made right in the family of God, we need to embrace circumcision. We need to embrace these Old Testament laws. That's Genesis 17.10. Paul wouldn't say, oh, you got me. What does he do? He probably went like this. Did you just say Genesis 17.10? And they said, yeah, Genesis 17.10. And he says, do you have Genesis right there? Back up. Back up a little bit. Go back two chapters. I'm going to show you something. And what does he do? Genesis 15.6. He takes him to Genesis 15, 6, and he says, this is, listen, this is the story of when God called Abraham out. And God said to him, I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to make you a nation. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you, every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to, I'm going to do that for you. And I'm going to do it through, through your children. And Abraham's sitting there going, I don't even have any. And, and God says, no, 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 come outside. Come outside. Look up in the sky. You see all the stars? That's how many your children are going to be. You're standing on the sand. Do you see all the grains of sand? That's how many your children are going to be. The nations are going to come from you. 
I'm going to bless the nations through you. And Abraham said, that's too good to be true. I can't believe it. He believed God. Not because he saw it in himself, but the source of the promise was so completely trustworthy in his eyes that he believed him. And the Scripture says it was credited to him as righteousness. Wait a second. I thought it was circumcision that was credited to him as righteousness. No. The promise came before the circumcision. The the grace of God came first. Obedience came as a response. Do you see that, church? you got to know the Word if you want to break the power of spiritual hypnosis. you got to be digging into the Word. You need the cumulative effect of God's Word in your life. He quotes in verse 11, Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. That's the verse, Habakkuk 2.4, that changed Martin Luther's life. He quotes Leviticus 18.5 in verse 12. He quotes Deuteronomy 20, 21, 21, 20, verse 23 in verse 13. He's quoting so many scriptures. He's talking about God be a curse. The curse is anyone who hangs on a tree. He's, he's, he's referring to, to Deuteronomy chapter 21. You want to go do a great exercise? Go to Deuteronomy chapter 27. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Read those two chapters and see what God's going to do to those who refuse to obey Him. He's going to curse them. There's blessings for obedience, cursings for disobedience. Read that in light of what Jesus Christ became for you. I'm getting into my third point. We need the Word of God. There's only one kind of fruitful disciple I've ever seen in the Scriptures. It's someone who gets up every day and faithfully chews on God's Word and sees the cumulative effect of that. You might not feel like it's any breakthrough moment. You might set your Bible down and say, I just read my Bible and I prayed. See, we go to God's Word sometimes expecting to have kind of these like breakthrough moments every day. No, we go and take a small little section of Scripture for a little bit of life. We try to apply it. We ask the Lord to speak to us. And over time, it has this cumulative effect on our lives that we're able to access it and by the Spirit of God applies it to our hearts and we break through those moments where we feel tempted to be spiritually hypnotized. You with me? You guys want to be that kind of Christian that actually dives into God's Word on a regular basis? There's very few athletes I've ever met that got there without work. You turn the TV on and you see the highlight reel. We watch ESPN. We see the amazing things that they do. Do you know what it took to get to that place? Do you know how much, do you know the cumulative effect of that practice day in, day out, over time? It wasn't just a breakthrough moment. The breakthrough moment came through faithful diligence over time. I heard Tim Tebow say, hard work beats talent if talent won't work hard. It's the same idea that you got to get in and, and put in your work. Now, it's not hard work saves you. Don't misunderstand me. It's putting in that work, putting in time in the Word out of a response to God's love for you that He gave Himself for you. And that Word's going to keep you from spiritual hypnosis. All right, third point. We break the the spell of spiritual hypnosis by trusting in the power of the gospel. That's this whole last section that I read. 
Isn't it interesting? You know, I started off talking about fairy tales and being put under a spell. Isn't it interesting, Paul's language here? He talks about being bewitched, and then what's this whole section about? What's the one word repeated over and over again? Somebody shout it out. Curse. It's like, man, Paul's really going fairy tale on us here. Bewitched, put a spell, now he's talking about a curse. And what is he saying? He's saying that we're all under the curse of the law. Because we've turned away from God in our sinfulness. That no one's going to be justified by the law. The, the law is unfulfillable in its character. Everyone's under a curse because no one is able to keep it in its entirety. And so what does Paul tell us? That, that the way we're freed from the curse of the law is by a curse being put on Jesus in our place. So the curse that we deserved, Jesus takes. This is something theologians refer to as the great exchange. Jesus gets all of your sin and all of the punishment that that deserves, and you get Jesus' perfect obedience and righteousness. How do you get it? By faith alone. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do works to get it. You don't have to merit grace or it wouldn't be grace. Jesus redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing that curse completely in himself. Paul says, you remember that cursed is everyone that's hanged on a tree. Well, that's what happened to Jesus. He was cursed when he hung on the tree. It says that Jesus actually became sin for us. He actually became the curse. He actually, God treated him as if he had done all the wrong things that this entire room and all of humanity and all of creation and all are trusting in Jesus. He treated Jesus as if that sin was his so that we might go free with him as our substitute. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Underline that verse. That's at the heart of this letter. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Now, have you ever been to court? You ever gotten guilty of something? Or maybe you weren't guilty and you were fighting it. Anybody, am I alone in this? A few, you know, I've gone to court for, because I felt like I was being unjust, you know, like I got, a, I got a ticket and I felt like it wasn't accurate, so I went to fight it. But I've also taken this approach. I've gotten tickets that I think I was guilty for and I've gone to kind of try to make a fancy speech. I'm good with words, you know. <laughs> Doesn't always work. I can remember one time, my, my friend and I, we were 15 years old, we took his dad's car out. We didn't have our driver's licenses. We got caught. Like, I can start feeling nervous up here thinking of that policeman's light. State police trooper caught us driving a car. And we went to court. We took the date because we just, we were like, we didn't know what to do. Like, oh, we're going to have to tell her. We got fined like $300 each. We had no money. We were 15 years old. And our parents are going to find out. And they said we weren't going to be able to get our license for six months. I was scared to death. So I went to appear before the judge. 
And I, I didn't know what we were going to do, but we were like saying some sob story. We like made this argument. And he just looked at us and said, you got to be kidding me. Doom. Guilty. Pay the fine and you can't get your license for six months. And when I think about that now, I think about this great divine tribunal that Paul speaks about. When we stand before God, what's going to remove the guilt that's yours? I'll take guilty for driving without a license at 15. What I don't want to hear is God say, guilty. Depart from me. And the only way I'm never going to hear, and I believe I'm never going to hear that, because Jesus stepped in in my place, and because of his perfect obedience, was able to take the punishment that was mine. He redeemed me from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for me. He redeemed me by becoming a substitute for me. Do you want to break the power of spiritual hypnotism in your life, hypnosis in your life? It's by remembering the power of that great truth of the gospel. The gospel can be summed up in this way. My life for yours. That's the great truth of the gospel. Jesus' life for yours. I was listening to Tim Keller on this. I've been, you guys, I've been reading some Tim Keller. That's why he's coming out in every sermon I preach. But he was talking about this meditation that he read once that Elizabeth Elliot's brother had wrote, who was actually a Catholic man who wrote a meditation. And the idea of the meditation was this idea of my life for yours. And he was describing, I'm going to try to paraphrase what he talked about, but Howard instructed people to look at the temple of God. And if you've ever read about the temple or the tabernacle, I've been perplexed at times when I read the Old Testament and how specific it is. Like, why does this need to be in our Bibles? Like, I'm really getting lost in my Bible reading plan because it's like this many furlongs and ephahs and fly, you know, and, and all these measurements. And I'm looking down at the footnotes because I'm like that, and I've got to understand. I, I start going on Google and translating how long, how big is that. But it's like all these details, and why? For what? And he says, if you study every little architectural detail about the temple or the tabernacle, everything's laid out precisely, but when you get to the center, which is in a sense, he says, the center of the universe, it's the center of reality. When you get to the center, what do you get? And you get no image. Nothing to bow down to. No image to bow down to. In fact, Howard says, when you get there, there's really no person at all. What you find is an event. Because at the heart of reality is this great golden slab. If you've ever seen the Chronicles of Narnia or read the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan was, was crucified on a great slab. He's picking up on this idea of the temple. At the heart of the temple, at the heart of reality, is the mercy seat. The top of the Ark of the Covenant, it's over the law, and it's where the blood of God is sprinkled. 
God is saying to, the, to us, he's saying to us at the very heart of reality, at the very heart of the universe, at the very heart of creation, at the very heart of redemption is this truth, my life for yours. We don't live that way, though. We live just the opposite. We live just the opposite. We live your life for mine. Sin causes us to feel that way. No, I'm the most important. I'm the center of this universe, so you exist for me. You exist for my happiness. So it's always the way we always live is your life for mine. That's what sin does to us. But Jesus comes, and he comes into the world saying, my life for you, my life to serve you, my life to give, I give my life as a ransom for you. Jesus comes into the world saying, my life poured out for you, my life for yours. That's the great truth of the gospel, guys. And it's that truth that snaps us out of spiritual hypnosis. One writer said, to permit a substitute is very merciful. To provide a substitute is amazing grace. But to become the substitute is grace beyond all measure. This is what Christ has done for us. we got to keep our focus on Him through the work of the Spirit, by trusting in the power of the Spirit, by trusting in the power of the Word, by trusting in the power of, the God, a power of God, so that when spiritual hypnosis comes, which it will, we can snap out of it. Amen? Amen.